Welcome to the American College of Mohs Surgery podcast series, Conversations in Mohs Surgery, where Dr. Thomas Kanakstat, academic dermatologist and Mohs surgeon in Cleveland, takes a closer look at articles published in the dermatology literature by speaking with the authors and researchers involved. The podcast is an extension of the college's online bibliography, a searchable high-yield article reference library aligned with the Micrographic Surgery and Dermatologic Oncology Fellowship Curriculum, accessible to ACMS members at www.mosecollege.org slash bibliography. Listeners can suggest articles for inclusion in the bibliography or guests for this podcast by sending an email to info at mosecollege.org. That's info at mohscollege.org. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is Dr. Thomas Knaxed once again for Conversations in Mohs Surgery. Today I'm going to be chatting with Dr. Mary Maloney. Uh, Mary Maloney is the chair and the professor in the Department of Dermatology at the University of Massachusetts. Uh, she's certainly an icon within the Mohs College and the 2018 recipient of the Frederick E. Mohs Award. Uh, in addition to surgery, she's really dedicated a lot of her career to mentorship and leadership development. So I'm very excited to to welcome her to to have a talk about that today. So welcome, Mary. Thank you very much. I look forward to this. So we um, go back uh, a ways um, as as sort of mentor and mentee in in different capacities, and I just thought it would be. A, a very fitting topic for the two of us to discuss. Um, I say that especially because we're also both members of the ACMS committee under Nat Jelinek's leadership that's um, working to develop the Mohs uh, leadership uh, development program, which uh, has been getting some attention in our newsletters and, and is reaching its final stages. So I, I guess we we should start at the beginning, and I'd love to hear how you got into the topic of of mentorship and fundamentally what mentorship means or how you define it. Well, mentorship is, I believe, a relatively new concept. Although people have been mentored for years and years and years, we didn't really put a name to it. Um, some people mentored in a very um, common and, and collegial fashion, and yet others were other types of mentorships, if I might say, is a method of um, watch me and do what I do. That kind of mentorship tends to lead to some good behaviors and some behaviors like throwing instruments in an operating room and setting norms with the temperament of the person that you are following, which I think probably isn't as good as a real mentorship. Mentorship is exploring you um, with the help of someone else and what your goals are and helping you to achieve some of those goals. And a good mentor is a bit of a mirror um, that you can actually look at yourself through their reflection of things that you are saying, doing, and some of your hopes and dreams. I think that you can have lots of mentors, and you will throughout your career, and that mentorship has become a really important part of career development and 
giving you the ability to see how to balance both a professional and a personal life and to balance the kinds of things you want to accomplish in that professional life. I think a lot of times, uh, especially more and more now, as you read leadership literature, mentorship has been embraced as a very active and dynamic process, as sort of a very intentional um, agreement or, or relationship. And that's, I think, the type of mentorship we'll be focusing a lot of our conversation on. But uh, for the sake of introduction, uh, especially in a procedural specialty like Mohs surgery, is there value for sort of um, lower tiers of mentorship complexity in terms of unconscious mentoring, unintentional mentoring, accidental mentoring, and just sort of role modeling? I think that that's a very important part of who we become in the long run. I think of one of the people I would now call one of my mentors um, was a dermatologist when I was in medical school. And he was a very low-key guy. He loved what he did. He had great passion for dermatology. And through all of that, I became very excited about dermatology and the ability to interact with patients and to see their skin and, and all of the things that we know about dermatology. And it was, it was very helpful to me, although we never considered it a mentorship and we never set up regular meetings and we didn't discuss um, in, in a formal fashion uh, my um, career path and, and the things that I wanted to get done. I don't think there really was formal mentorship probably 40 years ago. And I think if you talk to many of the older people, we didn't really see that. What that has made us is, I think, very passionate about the formal mentorships because we see how useful they are to people as they're going forward. And, and I think that's absolutely true. And um, there, there's many studies that suggest that the people who are mentored in their early career uh, almost universally go on to mentor others down the road. So there is always the sort of passing of the baton concept to to mentoring and and sort of bringing or or carrying a, a generation forward. How do I choose a mentor? Um, what kind of characteristics make a, a good mentor? And that's a very broad question. It is. And most people go out and look for someone who does what they do. So people interested in surgery would go and try and find a surgeon to mentor them. And that may be very important for career development, but I have to say some of my most successful mentorships um, with someone else have been someone who doesn't do what I do. I was a mentor for the academies program, uh, the academic leadership development program, and Bethany Schlosser and I 
uh, were paired up. And Bethany is a medical dermatologist who actually is a wonderful specialist in vulvar dermatosis and one of our great leaders now in that particular area. That was a tremendously successful mentorship. And so I don't think it has to be about necessarily your niche in the market of dermatology. I think it really can encompass how to develop a career in a way that fits with your private life, your family life, and your professional life, and how to manage up, how to manage down, how to develop success. And so can be very successful outside. So as people choose a mentor, you may want one of your mentors in during your career to be someone who isn't necessarily in your field. Although I do also think that as you are looking for advancement in a particular area, it is a good thing to have someone that you identify as a mentor who can give you advice about your subspecialty, about how to get ahead in that, about some of the ins and outs of the specialty per se. And I've always pictured um, my mentorship relationships to be really more of almost a, a, a board of directors or a board of trustees for my <laughs> professional life. And uh, there's certainly the, the apprenticeship learning, the um, the role modeling that I received from my fellowship director, Nat Jelinek, who to this day, you just sort of hear their voice in your ear as you're trying to cut corners um, in <laughs> surgery and elsewhere. So, so that's very specific to, you know, my role as a Mohs surgeon. Um, that relationship uh, is not exclusively, but certainly has a component of of shop talk. And I think one of the merits of having mentors outside of your subspecialty or even your specialty of dermatology is that you don't run the risk of escaping into shop talk and, and simply having your mentorship calls or meetings be about the latest, greatest surgery that you did compared to to theirs. And so um, certainly, um, that that's where I see Nat Jelinek as, as being somebody who uh, has really become a, a voice in my head when it comes to excellent surgical technique. The listeners of this podcast may have also listened to the podcast we did with Shlomo Koifman, and, and Dr. Koifman is a radiation oncologist. We happen to overlap with his interest in skin cancer, but he otherwise has a much more diverse sort of thought process and background uh, in mentoring me than, than another dermatologist would. So um, I think it's really important to, to sort of approach this from, from multiple mentors for each mentee in different parts and times of their career. What is your thought on sort of having multiple people realizing there's, there's a balance there? I think it is very important, and you will find that some mentors you bring in at different points in your career. I'm now uh, trying to find a mentor to uh, help me retire uh, because this is sort of a scary topic that uh, having to cope with as I get 
closer and closer to that time, I probably, my personality will probably not let me retire completely. But I need some advice and I need someone to let me reflect on what I'm doing uh, as I go forward. So I think the medical student needs a mentor and the chair of a department needs a mentor to really do their very best and to, again, have that ability for self-analysis and have someone hold you to some of that self-analysis. Now, as members of the ACMS and the Academy of Dermatology, we have the benefit of very, very structured mentorship opportunities. Those are not always available. They're certainly, uh, I imagine, less available for, for being a chair or for transitioning to retirement or later on in the career. So, so how does one, in the absence of such formal structured applications for mentor matching, find a mentor and, and create that mentorship relationship? Well, as I look for a mentor in, in someone who has successfully transitioned to retirement, it's really what I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, someone that I can say, you've retired, uh, are you happy? Oh, yes, and I've developed other interests. That's the kind of person that I want to talk to. So many times you look for someone who has been successful in what you're wanting to do and has a personality temperament that it doesn't have to be the same as yours, but someone that you are going to respect and like. If I can say one thing about mentorships, I truly think that at the end of a mentorship or as you're older, even in the beginning of a mentorship, you're going to have a friendship relationship. And if you don't finish a mentorship with a friendship relationship, there was something off about it. Uh, and, and I've had some mentorships where I haven't been in touch with people afterwards. Um, sometimes my not reaching out, sometimes they're not reaching out, and sometimes both of us just saying, you know, we, we did successful work, but we're not going any further. But that's the vast minority of interactions that I have had. And some of my dearest friends are people that I have shared a mentorship on one side or the other with. And it's interesting that you say that there's a number of TED talks on mentorship. And that was one of the things they highlighted to the point of sort of coining it as, uh, as friend tours, uh, sort of friendship <laughs> mentors, because you you do evolve, and as we'll talk about in a, in a minute, there's a very intimate relationship when it comes to confidentiality, trust, uh, career advice, and whatnot. Um, without getting into too much specifics, I think it's helpful before we talk about what makes that relationship successful. Uh, you, you say that sometimes mentorship programs or mentorship relationships don't last forever or they don't last beyond their formal structure. Any thoughts on, on why that is? Uh, what makes the successful mentorship relationships different from those that are less successful? 
I really think at some point it gets to be a um, meshing of personality style. And once again, that doesn't mean you have to have the same style. It, it, it comes down to how you approach problems, how you accept advice. Um, it, sometimes mentors try and give you the answer. You need to do this. And uh, the mentee may really not think that's the appropriate step. And so you sort of miss endlessly. Some mentors aren't invested enough and start missing calls and, and not linking. Some mentees, the same thing. They forget a call. They forget to dial in. Um, the conversations become more and more superficial rather than uh, deeper and richer as you build that trust. And so I think that there must be a lack of, of trust building. I've frequently said that in the formal mentorships, you usually know by the second or third meeting if this is a person that you are going to get along with and have mutual respect and mutual interest and mutual concerns. Many times that gets to core values, if I could just throw that in. I think that if your top two or three core values don't mesh in some fashion, you may um, have some trouble getting uh, moving in a direction. And that's one of the things I always ask a mentee is, you know, give me your core values. And I, you know, once I kind of understand that and they understand mine, I share mine back. I, I think that helps a lot. And so that's something I've learned to do. But if you find that you're not meshing in one of these formal programs, you should ask to change mentors. You shouldn't allow a formal opportunity to go by with a mentor that, that you don't respect, trust, or get along with, or, or that they aren't giving you the time that you expected. Um, one, at least once a month for an hour. Um, maybe COVID, you might give them a break in the middle of COVID. But other than that, you know, good attention. Does that make sense? It does, and I'm thinking back to our first uh, point of contact in the mentoring world and you asking me about my core values, and I think I somewhat incorrectly answered largely by, by telling you what I think my strengths are. So for especially the younger listeners or those not as ingrained in the leadership uh, development world, what do we mean by, by core values? Well, these are the things that you don't compromise on, that you hold near and dear to your heart. Professionalism, not telling a lie, uh, giving time uh, to your family, being reliable and always on time. The difficulty is that you may identify something as a core value, family time. And then you look at your life and you stay late at work. So it's something you value, but it's not something you're committed to, if you get my point. And therefore, it can't be at your very core. 
So when I hear of someone whose core value is to um, be on time and they're always late to a meeting with a million excuses, I try and gently point out, I don't think that is a core value for you. Um, but I do think that recognizing your, your core values is, is really something that's very important going into a mentorship and going into, into a job. You, you have to remember that if you have a core value of giving charity care and you want to make sure that you give some charity care, but you join a practice which won't allow anyone to be seen unless they have insurance, you're going to always be uncomfortable with that practice. And so there is something that you have to look at and, and incorporate as you go forward in your career. Are you with the right practice? Are you, or are you honoring your core values as you move through your career? And the core values then are, are rather independent of what realm of your life you apply them to, right? The sore, the same set of core values dictate how I choose my friends, my spouse, my, my work, and, and probably how I define success for myself. I truly believe that your core values are at your core and they do last um, your, your entire career. Some may become more emphasized in, in a, later on, you may always value volunteer service, but as you become more financially stable, you can honor that core value more and more because you can uh, volunteer more time, but that core value needs to be there from the beginning. Now, you've written a, a number of, of really wonderful papers on mentorship, uh, a lot of which are available on on PubMed for for those with access there. And one of my favorites is titled Ethical Mentorship, The <laughs> Dilemma of Success or Failure. And uh, your, your, your chuckle makes me think you recognize <laughs> the paper. This was back in, in 2012 and um, published in Clinics and Dermatology. And the reason I like this manuscript is that it gives very sort of key skills or key expectations to making the relationship work. So I, I want to just extract some, some buzzwords from that article and, and help them guide our conversation. The first one, um, simply being availability and, you know, deciding to be a mentor, time management. Uh, can you talk about that more in the context of the relationship? Yes, I think that Everyone says they want to mentor people, uh, and then they and and they see that as a core value. And then when they have a mentee, life overwhelms them, and they can't carve out the time or don't carve out the time. We all choose to do what we do during our day, and so you do have control over that. But sometimes you feel overwhelmed, and and mentorship falls by the wayside. And so I think that before you start being a mentor, you have to say, this is something I am going to commit time to on a weekly level or a, a, 
every other week, whatever it is, I'm going to read, I'm going to be available, I'm going to honor our time together when we sit down together. What difference does it make um, whether you're fortunate enough to be at the same academic institution or in the same city or in the same state versus across the country in making these relationships work? Sort of distance mentoring versus in-person mentoring? That's a very interesting question. I actually think sometimes being in person as a mentor can be more difficult because familiarity breeds contempt. Not really contempt, but, oh, we'll meet next week. Oh, oh, this is a busy week. We'll push it off. And and you don't set the time aside and really do that. You also may get over-concerned if you're at the same institution with um, performance issues in clinic as, as opposed to a broader mentorship. On the other hand, if you're really mentoring about surgical technique or your next paper or how to write a paper, um, that's a lot of the mentoring I've watched Jeremy Bordeaux do so well. That's very useful done at the same institution. I think when you mentor across the country, you have a bigger view in your mentorship of a broader scope so that it, it may incorporate your career at your practice, your family, and how to combine those, and then also possibly your developing stature in the community of Mohs surgery. And so I think it gets to be a broader landscape. And if anybody, if anybody could see me, you would know that I'm using my hands all over the place as I'm compartmentalizing these things. And, and I think it just goes back to highlight that really, while we don't need to spread ourselves too thin, um, the relationship uh, that, that, let's say, you and I have in terms of uh, your support in my career development is a different one than the one I have with my chair, who I also consider a mentor, and who may help me with opportunities locally, institutionally. But obviously, he's not the same person I can then go and complain to my chair about, hypothetically. <laughs> and so I think it is nice to have some degree of distance and, and disconnect. I think it takes judgment out of the picture to some degree. Um, you know, if we talk about situations, they're um, less biased by your perception of the situation, as you may already know it before we we talk about it. So um, I do think it's it's helpful and uh, can potentially be easier to have those relationships with a little bit of geographical and perhaps emotional um, uh, distance. And nowadays, in the age of, of intro or post-COVID, certainly we've got ways to find many in-betweens between Zoom and, and WebEx for, for mentor meetings, and, um, and that's really been helpful. I think so, too. I think the other thing, 
just to add one other benefit of the more distant relationship is that you, the mentee can talk to the mentor about a situation where they failed, where they may not want to talk to somebody who is their boss about a significant failure. Um, they feeling that they will be more judged than someone who is distant, who may therefore willingly dis disclose and talk about their own failures throughout their career. A little more, a little less judgmental. Would you agree that failure is probably one of the positive driving forces to mentorship conversations? Again, I, I, uh, I, I think about what we talk about, and certainly I, I want to, in the relationship, be able to bring up my failures. And I think that those failures are very positive jumping off points to uh, personal development and improvement. Yes. Uh, discussing things that you don't think you did as well as you could have are a wonderful place. They show tremendous personal insight which is important for growth and a trust that you're willing to talk about them. And then they turn into just the best kind of learning opportunity that you can think about. Correct. Would you say trust is probably the, the most fundamental component of, of mentoring? I'm just looking through um, certainly your paper and, and, and many books on the topic, and we talk about confidentiality, trustworthiness, respect, but is trust sort of the common denominator to all of it? I do believe that trust is incredibly important, and the mentor cannot betray the mentee in any fashion. And there has to be a commitment by the mentor that this is confidential inf information. You're not going to circle around and tell someone what that person has said. And the mentee also has to trust that the mentor is actually working for their success. There certainly have been mentorships where the mentor kind of wants to keep the mentee down on the farm um, and doesn't want them to overshadow the mentor in some fashion. And that is, that can happen. And the mentor really has to be sure that they are out for the success of the person that they're working with. I, I really want to uh, dig a little deeper on that topic because I think it's an important one, especially as we're all so aspirational and we, we to some degree, choose our mentors based on their success in their professional life, if not in our field. So um, I, I guess... We, we can consider it sort of mentor-mentee troubleshooting. Talk more about the role of or, or the scenario where you do feel like you're being held back or you, you sort of talked about it more eloquently than I'm currently doing. Um, yes, it, it is really a uh, move to not have this young whippersnapper um, get a first paper, a first author in the New England Journal of Medicine 10 years before you got your first publication in the New England Journal of Medicine. And just so we can be clear, I've never published in the New England Journal of Medicine. So it's not been an issue for me. Um, and there can be some sense of jealousy. 
it tends to be more with uh, in-person mentorship uh, where the mentor is the more senior person in a department, but I suppose it can be other places too. And it is something that all mentors need to guard against and be aware of. I have always operated on the premise that the people behind me are going to come along and be as smart or smarter than I am, but have more science behind them. And my job is to boost them to the next level that I have set one level and the next group of people have to build on that to take us all further forward. And you, that does mean that you have to be unselfish about the promotion of people that you are mentoring and promoting in their career. It, it certainly makes me think of the, the quote by Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, if I've seen further, it is by standing upon the shoulders of, of giants. Is that how you view mentorship? It is, exactly. He was a wise man. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Um, when you um, mentor people or mentorship in, in general, obviously we, we all come from very unique backgrounds and, and we're very diverse. To what degree does gender, uh, race, religion, diversity, cultural background play into the success of a, a mentor-mentee relationship? I think that it is an individual sort of thing that goes back to trust. And I think that some people, possibly in minority situations, do very well um, with another person of diversity because they can develop that sense of trust more quickly. I do think that mentorships across race, ethnicity are also incredibly important for both sides. One has to remember that it isn't just the mentee that grows during the mentorship relationship. Both parties come away with real benefits of that relationship. It may be just a friendship, and I don't, don't let me belittle a friendship, but m almost always you have formed or seen things about yourself as the mentor through the mentee's eyes that actually promotes your self-awareness and your career also. And so I really encourage everyone to be as diverse as you can be in your mentorships, understanding um, that people who are underrepresented may want some of their very first mentorships to be with people who are also underrepresented because they may share an awful lot of common experience and need some of the um, shared experience to help them make, make these changes or, or develop their career. I, I think that's in, incredibly well said. I, I don't think I can 
add much on on diversity and mentorship that's that's excellent we talk a lot about the mentee and what the mentee the recipient is getting out of the mentorship and you just briefly alluded to what's in it for the mentor because uh it's all too easy at face value to sort of think of the mentor as providing advice um sponsoring opportunities um whether it's allowing a mentee to take a place at a at a conference or or participate on a project why should i want to be a mentor well number 1 you get to watch the success of someone that you grow to, to care about and that is a tremendous tremendous gift quite honestly you get to participate in someone's life course uh and that expands your horizons and i have found that many of my mentees have invited me to be on their programs and given me opportunities to write and so it is not a one-way street at all and we have had many a drink a glass of wine uh and shared experiences with groups of people groups of mentors and mentees that have just been so exciting and diverse and added to the my growth as a person as a human being that i really think my life would not be nearly as rich if i didn't have all these people in it uh to challenge me to now that i'm i'm on the other side and and doing a little less to get keep me involved uh not let me get old and just to have uh, a place to go in almost every city it's been one of the bright spots of of my career quite honestly and and you've you've done it well and you've i'm sure learned in in the process and the way you mentor people now is arguably different from the way you mentored people 10 years ago i am some different um i i learned the the core values issue i learned that if you're not doing well with a mentee it's it's probably your fault a little bit that you're you're not clicking with them and that you need to either uh reach out and solve that or help them find a mentor who will do better with them um but most of the the issues are are the same the same types of issues that have different components to them it's just like doing most no two tumors are the same right and no two closures are quite the same and everything teaches you something with every case you do and that's what i've learned about mentor mentee relationships each one is different and each one teaches and gives you new challenges and new rewards Do you think that it has to be formalized to a point of 
setting timelines, ground rules, expectations, or do you think that that is something that is not necessary in most instances? I think sometimes you can get sidetracked if you don't have things that you want to talk about. It can become easy to just talk and possibly not touch on meaningful subjects. I think if both parties stay attuned to what could be meaningful, that I, you don't have to have a timeline and you don't have to have an end point. In fact, I think there really isn't an end point. Um, it, it's, it's a change of relationship at the end of a mentorship that most times mm -hmm. both parties acknowledge that the mentorship may be ongoing for the rest of your lives, but it will be much more of a back and forth mentorship mm -hmm. rather than one person being the mentor and one person being the mentee. You'll switch roles once in a while. Right. And I find even in my professional life, and I'm sure many of my uh, junior colleagues will, will share this, you're, you're being asked or you're, uh, interested in mentoring others while still receiving mentorship yourself. And in, in my world, that's certainly uh, residents, medical students, and, and some of my colleagues um, receiving mentorship from me all the while I'm receiving it from, from many uh, who have, you know, sort of been in the business longer than me and have come before me. I still need a good mentor. I think that's absolutely true. And it still increases the joy of your practice in your life to have those kinds of relationships. Apart from, uh, let's say, learning from your mentees, what made you a good mentor? Or who? Or what? I hope, I, I hope that it is that I can listen as well as talk. Um, I really do believe that a mentor needs to be able to listen and sometimes just be a sounding board and not think you have to solve anything, but give someone the space and the time to be able to discuss all points of a problem that they're dealing with and come to a solution that works for them rather than my giving a solution all the time. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm mm -hmm. doing that. Um, I will say, again, a, a, a big recommendation for all those interested in the topic to, to read your two, or, or I should say the two articles I enjoyed the most, which were the ones in Clinics and Dermatology from 2012, which was, again, titled Ethical Mentorship, The Dilemma of Success or Failure. And then the other one was uh, as part of a larger group of authors uh, together with Alona Frieden, uh, titled A Model in Dermatology for Long-Distance Mentoring. And I think those are both really good um, reads for people interested in the topic within our specialty. Going outside of our specialty and going outside of medicine, uh, any books, pamphlets, brochures that you can recommend on the topic? There is such a large number of books on mentorship. It's it's hard to to pick just one or two. 
I have enjoyed most some of the articles because they are filled with more quick tips than the lengthy book that tends to examine some in depth rather than getting to the quick quick hits. But I guess that's because I have a surgical mentality, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not as big a fan of the longer books rather than the, than the shorter articles that have, have been written. I actually think that those uh, written for internal medicine and for dermatology are the best references. I have read a number of articles uh, from people in various other industries, and I don't quite think their mentorships are the same as ours. So I really think that the medical model for mentorship is much more focused on the things that we need and do, if I could guide people in that way. In case it comes up for some of our listeners um, searching for the topic, certainly Atul Gawande and others have written about coaching. Is that the same thing? Or is coaching and mentorship different? The coaching is different. Um, number one, you pay somebody. Number two, um, they are really there to get you to a goal that you, the two of you have identified. A leadership goal, dealing with promotion, uh, preventing fatal flaws. And fatal flaws wouldn't be truly fatal, but uh, a fatal flaw for any of us is making the same mistake over and over again, and you lose trust of those around you. And, and they usually work with you in that sort of a capacity rather than a broad life mentoring sort of capacity. I think that coaches are wonderful, and I have had two coaches in my career, and I love the experience. They are usually very direct and are more than happy to tell you when your behavior is not what it should be. And that kind of bluntness and is, in fact, very useful. They, they do have different goals. And so I would encourage anyone who is moving through their career and up the leadership ladder, it, it is really a very exciting thing uh, to have a, a coach for, for a year. But it's not the same as mentorship. Thank you for that, that clarification. Mary, I want to be mindful of your, your time this afternoon. What part of mentorship have we not touched on? Anything else in, in the realm of mentorship that you think our listeners and the ACMS would benefit from hearing from you. All I can say, Thomas, is that uh, that relationship is one of the most fun relationships that you can have. And that I really do encourage people to be both mentors and mentees. And it is a tremendous opportunity to grow both as a person and as a professional. And so I just encourage people to explore the possibilities and go into it ready to trust and ready to commit. Mary, well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I want to thank our listeners for their attention. And uh, please do provide us feedback as we go beyond um, articles and 
clinical medicine and explore the other realms of what it means to be a good physician and in this instance, a a good Mohs surgeon. Um, so please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees and let us know how we're doing or who you'd like to have on the show by contacting info at mohscollege.org. Thank you, and I hope you'll join me next time on Conversations in Mohs Surgery.